podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Unfaithfulness, what about that? Didn't God see that coming? Yes, He saw that coming. And it was always His plan that Jesus would come from Abraham's family so that he would unclog the river and let blessings flow out through them. When you think about it, picture in your mind a big pipeline, and this pipeline is supposed to bring water to 10 or 20 different villages in a region. And you say, okay, good, this is my chosen pipeline. This is what I'm going to use. And then that pipeline gets clogged. And you say, "Uh uh-oh. Didn't see that coming. Well, in God's case, he did see that coming. But it was his plan that from Abraham's family, the Messiah would come, unclogging this pipeline, so to speak, and letting blessings flow out through Jesus to the world. This is why it's such a big deal that John says, look, when you repent, go back and do what's righteous. If you have two coats, give one away. Go back and let justice flow in you. What he's saying, in essence, is repentance unclogs the river of God's blessing. That, that's my son right there. Hello, buddy. He's pretty unclogged as well in his vocals. But there is this sense of saying, look, repentance is us recognizing that it's our selfishness and it's our self-absorbedness that's kind of taken God and his blessings and said, me, 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 and mine, 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 the way that Israel had done. And repentance is saying, oh, if I'm turning from this and if I'm turning to Christ, Jesus the Messiah, then all of this is going to come unclogged. That's why John says, okay, look, if you're really repentant, then let your life show the fruit of it. And we want to know, well, John, what's the fruit of it? And what kinds of things does he name? You have two coats, give one away. And he starts talking about blessing flowing through once again. One of the big outcomes of a repentant life is that the blessing of God all of a sudden begins to flow through. That's why it's such a joy as we celebrate baptism tonight. But as the story goes on in Luke 3, and I want to read to you a little bit out of the the, the text here, Luke 3, verse 21, this is Jesus, and he's standing there, and it says this, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Just sort of, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's almost said nonchalantly. But Andy, as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And it goes on, it says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And then it goes on and on and gives this genealogy. Now I'll come back to the genealogy in a moment because the way Luke lists Jesus' genealogy is not insignificant. I think it'd be easy to sort of brush over it and say, well, yeah, okay, skip, what's chapter 4? But we're going to come back to that part of it in just a moment. I want to say a few things about baptism. Aaron, Pastor Aaron Stern, when he spoke here last week, mentioned that it was not a normal Jewish practice for Jews themselves to be baptized. You don't see that as a a symbol, as one of their uh, rituals in the Old Testament. So what is this? Where does this come from? 
we don't know for sure, but some people suspect maybe John the Baptist was part of this group called the Essenes, the ones who were so disturbed that the Jews in Palestine were living in a godless way, that they were sort of compromising in our language. And, and so these guys sort of left the city, withdrew, and went into the desert. That, that community of people, the Qumran community, they're the ones, by the way, who preserved the scrolls that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's the Qumran community that preserved for us many copies of the Old Testament books of the Hebrew Scriptures. This is where I said to you the Dead Sea Scrolls, the the, the books that they had the most copies of were Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Psalms. They were immersing themselves in Deuteronomy, God's story of covenant, Isaiah, God's promise of a Messiah, the Psalms, the book of their worship and prayer. Now, we don't know if John the Baptist was part of the Essenes or the Qumran community, but the Qumrans were people that, that practiced baptism. And the reason they did it was it was a way of saying, hey, listen, Israel, you've been sinful. You've been unfaithful. It's time to be baptized. Now, this would have been a slap in the face because normally a Gentile's the one who gets baptized in order to cross from outsider Gentile into Jew, insider, chosen people. And so here John's saying, okay, look, we're going to, I want you to be baptized as a sign of your repentance. It doesn't matter. We, we read last week, it doesn't matter that you're descendants, uh, descendants of Abraham. Look, I'm telling you, your unfaithfulness, the hardness of your heart is such that you need to kind of do this for real. But baptism, though it may not have had roots in, in itself as, it's, as a practice in the Old Testament was a very vivid replaying, retelling of a well-known narrative. I've talked to you a number of times on Sunday night about how the narrative that would have shaped the hearts and minds and imaginations of Jewish followers at this time was this, the story of their exodus. It's the story of them being prisoners, captives in Egypt, and being let out of Egypt and going to the Red Sea and and having Moses part the waters and them walking across on dry land and then Pharaoh's army chasing them and coming in the sea and the waters closing over them, right? There's this story that's in their mind. Waters, walking through the waters, passing through the waters. Wait a minute, that has to do with a deliverance. That has to do with a rescue. That has to do with a leaving. I want to say three things tonight about baptism, and then we'll watch a bunch of people do it. (laughs) First of all, baptism is about repentance. It is about a leaving. Just as walking through the waters of the Red Sea said, I'm leaving Egypt, and when they looked back and the waters closed back up over the Red Sea, over the Egyptian army, you think they were looking back and saying, whoa, guess where, I guess we really did leave. Guess we really are out of this. Baptism is about repentance. It's about turning a turning away. It's about saying, look, I'm leaving this old life for sure. I grew up in Malaysia and I had a lot of friends that were Buddhists and Hindus and of different religions, Muslims as well. And, and a number of our Buddhist or, or Hindu friends were, were bold enough to be able to come to church. It wasn't as big of a deal as it was for my Muslim friends. That would have been really difficult for them to come uh, specifically to church. 
But I had a number of friends who would come with us on these youth retreats and youth camps, and they would have these, they would sing the songs, and you could tell their lives were being impacted. And then we'd say, hey, do you want to get baptized? And they would say, oh, no, I just, I don't want to dishonor my parents. And you have to understand this is such a huge thing in Asian culture because it's like, well, I can come to church, I can sing. My parents don't mind that. I'm probably getting some, learning some good values and whatnot. But to be baptized is to say that I'm breaking ties with my family. They understood, their parents understood that to be baptized is to say, I'm not part of your lineage, I'm not part of your household, I'm not part of your descendants, I am aligning myself with this new group. Now that's a big deal. But I wonder if we've missed the weight of that. To say that baptism is about a repentance, it's about an exit, it's about a leaving, a severing of these ties of saying, I'm not one of them. But if you think about the narrative, the promised land narrative that was in the back of these, the minds of the listeners here to, to John and to Jesus, they're also, they also recognize that passing through the waters was not just to get out of Egypt. It was not just an escape. Baptism was also about an entrance. It's also about an entrance. Think about it, there they are, almost as if to replay the drama of leaving Egypt and entering the wilderness. What happens in the wilderness? A whole generation dies, right? Do you remember this? They probably didn't have flannel graph for that, you know. They had, they had them journeying in the wilderness, but they didn't have them dying and then like kids, you know. But there, a whole a generation dies in the desert and a new generation emerges. And when they're on the threshold of entering the land, there's another river, there's another body of water they pass through, isn't there? It's the Jordan River. And this time, you know, it doesn't part until feet are actually in it, and then it splits and they cross it. But it's almost meant to replay in your mind again. Remember, you pass through the waters as a way of leaving. You're now passing through the waters as a way of entering. This is what's massive about baptism, is that it's also about an entrance into a new identity. Entrance into this place of being the covenant people of God. It's significant the way Luke does his genealogy. Because when Matthew traces Jesus' lineage, not only does Matthew, Matthew and Luke take a few different turns, and that's not odd. If any of you have tried, I know Leonard has traced his ancestry back to sort of the Mayflower, I think. And it's really remarkable. And maybe some of you have done that tracing, but, but there's chances are you can trace your lineage a couple different ways, and so there's a few different turns that Matthew and Luke take, but here's the most significant thing. How far back does Matthew go? I, I know you studied the genealogy. It was your memory verse just last week. Abraham. Why does Matthew go back to Abraham? He's trying to show that Jesus is from the line of Abraham. He's fulfilling Abraham's calling. But where does Luke go? How far back does Luke go? Adam! What is Luke trying to tell us? That Jesus, yes, he's Israel's Messiah, but he's the Savior of the world. That he's come, yes, as the hope of Israel, but if Israel's calling was always just to be an instrument of blessing, like the Old Testament reading said tonight, if Israel was always meant to be the instrument of blessing to the world, then Luke is trying to tell us Jesus goes all the way back to Adam. He's opened the way for all the entrance, if baptism is about entrance, it's saying to all of us who were once outsiders, look, you are now members of the family. 
It's saying to any of us who say, well, I felt on the outside that I don't really belong and I don't this and I'm not qualified and I don't know that I'm favored or I'm favored or nothing's gone right in my life. You know what? When you come to Christ, this act of baptism is saying, I am entering into this covenant people. Paul says later on, he says, look, in Galatians, he says, look, in fact, if you've been baptized, there's no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more slave, no free, nor free. A massive statement in the first century. Slaves were regarded as things, not even personhood. There was no personhood to slaves. And and Paul's saying, there's not even that in Christ. There's no male. Here's the deal. Your entrance into this covenant family means your new identity is family member of God, child of God. For all of you that are getting baptized tonight, you're saying that in front of all of us. You're saying... I'm joining the covenant family of God. I'm joining the people of God. I'm part of this. I'm entering into this. But but here's something more. Later on in in this passage when it says, sorry, it's actually earlier when John's talking about Jesus and he says, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we see Jesus, the Holy Spirit, descending on him in this form like a dove. Baptism is also about God's empowering presence. That term, if some of you are familiar with it, is a term that the great New Testament scholar Gordon Fee used to use to describe the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a great book, God's Empowering Presence. You want a biblical, thorough study in the Holy Spirit, you pick up Gordon Fee's book, God's Empowering Presence. But right here in the moment of baptism, here's Jesus and the Holy Spirit descending on him. But what later happens to the church in Acts? The Holy Spirit descends on them. This again plays into the Exodus narrative because what happens when they pass through the waters of the Red Sea? Are they kind of stuck on their own in the desert? No. There's a presence of God with them, isn't there? In the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But none of that, as great as it was, can compare with the indwelling, the infilling of the Holy Spirit that's in all of us who belong to Christ. I believe tonight as these young men and young women and not so young men and not so young women go through the waters of baptism tonight, we're going to say as they come up, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because there's something powerful about saying, okay, look, it's about my repentance, yes, and it's about our entrance, yes, but it's about an empowering presence of God that's filling me, that's indwelling me, that's walking with me, that will never leave me, that stays with me tomorrow as I get up and go to work or go to school, wherever I'm doing, whatever I'm doing. God's empowering presence living inside of us. There's something powerful about that. Now, why... Why would Jesus himself get baptized? That maybe is a question we're thinking about. Well, that, we know why we do. We know why John was calling people to repent. Why would Jesus do it? Could it be that Jesus' submission to baptism is a part of his identification with us and our sin? Could it be that Jesus is saying, look, I'm innocent. I'm fully God and fully man, but I've come to identify with sinful humanity. And I'm going in the waters, and I'm coming out. And actually, that's just a foreshadow of the day, a few years from now, when I'll go to the cross and identify with the sin of the world, take the weight of evil on myself, die, 
and three days later, be raised up. When the early Christians spoke of our baptism, they couldn't help but speak of it as our death and our resurrection. Yes, there's going to be bodily resurrection later when Christ returns. 1 Corinthians 15 says, yes, that's coming. But you know what? Part of it starts now. Part of this deadness leaving and life breaking out starts now. In fact, there's a passage in Ephesians 5. Paul appears to be quoting something, and he's quoting this three-line poem I was in a, I'm going back to seminary here at Fuller Seminary in town, and my New Testament prof was telling us, he says, I I think Paul's quoting very likely a formula that was used for baptism. Because he's not quoting anything from the Septuagint, he's not quoting anything from the Old Testament. You know what it says? It says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's the power of this is we're saying, okay, if Jesus identified with us in our sin and died with us, but God raised him up and, and, and descended his spirit on him, then if we identify with Christ in his death, we go down in the waters, we come back up, and I are identifying with his life. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, for all of us here, make us more than just observers and witnesses. Make us active participants, family members that rejoice together, that celebrate together. Make this a moment where you continue to bring us awake and alive. Thank you that your empowering presence is with us. We love it. In Jesus' name, amen.